I would like organizations to become more people-centered and to care about the people that are actually working there, um, to actually value people as more than just a number and actually see them as a human being and have that be priority. I want people to be prioritized within organizations because, I mean, that's what happened with my dad. He wasn't prioritized as a person and he fell into kind of the trap of climbing the ladder of success but having to sacrifice himself in order to do that. That's Hesh Fernando, founder of Melbourne startup, The Model Man, a business dedicated to improving the lives of businessmen and doing something about the corporate world's traditional lack of regard for men's mental health. So what individual change we can bring to men themselves and what cultural change we can start to create within organizations that start to make these places less like pressure cookers that people walk into every day Hesh runs the model man alongside his dad, and interestingly, the difficult relationship he had with his father throughout his young life has played a big role in bringing them together on this journey now. When me and my dad started speaking about our stories, I realized um, there are so many men in organizations, working professionals who are going through the same things that my father went through, bringing that home and also bringing that around with them to whoever they encounter. As a kid, Hesh was full of rage, brought on by experiencing his dad mistreat him and his mother and being powerless to stop it. Because of this, he grew up putting pressure on himself to try to fix problems that weren't his to fix, a trait that ultimately led to him getting bottled and put in hospital. When that glass hit my face and I fell to the floor, I remember when, when bandages were wrapped around my face and I couldn't see anything. I felt so powerless to do anything in that moment. Hesh deeply believes he's found his purpose in working with men and seeking to bring about organizational change. He's evolved in many ways as an individual since hitting rock bottom in his early 20s, but it's the total reversal of his relationship with his dad that's even more inspiring. Welcome to Young Blood, an award-winning podcast on a mission to make the mental health of young men a top priority. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our platform to open up and share stories of what we've been through because we're not alone. Let's do it. How do you remember feeling within yourself in your early, in your teens and in your early 20s? Uh, back then, um, I was a pretty angry child actually, but I, I masked a lot of it. So people knew me as this fun, happy a uh, guy who loved to play basketball, who loved to hang with his mates. People didn't really see what was going on behind closed doors. I became very good at masking that. Um, but yeah, in honest truth, I was probably a very angry child. And that, that stems from things that were going on in, in the home and things that people didn't really know about that were going on in my life. And what did that anger feel like to you? The anger? Um, as a physical feeling, it felt like burning in my chest. Um, in as a kind of like a mental concept, it felt like it felt like I was trapped in my own life. And I think that the pressure as the pressure built and I felt like I couldn't talk about these things that were going on with me. Um, I mean, I wasn't even aware that I couldn't do that. I was unaware that I was unaware of it, if that makes sense. But I think I really did feel that I didn't have anyone to talk to and that talking about these kind of things was... Uh, not permissible. Um, I've come to later understand why. How old were you when you first remember feeling that way? How old? Hmm, that's a good question. I've never been asked that. Probably about 12 is when I was like conscious of it. Um, but looking back on my life, it's probably been after, yeah, after 10 years old onwards. And you felt that 
burning in your chest and had those feelings sort of consistently from that age? Yeah, well, I tie it to what was going on with my mum and my dad because that's when the anger really started to build and I felt like a lot of what was going on between them and their relationship was being projected onto me Mm. and feeling kind of powerless because I was their son. Um, I didn't know what to do. And I became, what it made me do was become this kind of problem solver. I I tried to solve their problems. I tried to sit and mediate what was going on between them, which has actually led to my facilitation work uh, with men and with young boys ever since. So you were witnessing fights and arguments? Yeah. Uh, uh, From about, I think it was about 12 is when things really started getting heated. And the story that I always go back to is I remember the tension would always build towards six o'clock in our house because I knew my dad was coming home. I knew he'd be stressed. Yep. And I knew more than likely there was going to be some sort of argument that would break out as soon as my dad started talking to my mom. Mm. I so, didn't understand why, but yeah. So you had that feeling of walking on eggshells? Yeah. My my whole my whole childhood, like teenage years onwards, was definitely walking on eggshells. Like I would describe it like that. Yep. And for your dad, it didn't take much for him to snap. It was sort of like he was looking for any excuse because he was so stressed and having to hold it together during the day that it, it was pretty much inevitable that he was going to explode over seemingly pretty minor things when he got home. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing, right? Looking back on it, that's what it was. At the time, I didn't understand why he would blow up or why he was angry. I just started thinking this man is not a good man or this man is treating my my mother poorly or why is he so angry? I never want to be like him. Like those are the thoughts that a child has at the time. They're not so conscious of as to why he was like that, but it was definitely depression, distress and face from work. And were you angry because you felt powerless and you felt bad for, for your mom and because you were afraid? Do you think that that rubbed off on you and you thought, okay, perhaps that's how a man is supposed to act? Was that confusing at all? Yeah, um, I think I definitely adopted his behaviors because I recognized at the time that the way he was behaving wasn't good. It was having a negative impact. And I reacted by trying to be the, that mediator and that problem solver and the one who brought the peace. And as the oldest son, because I've got a younger brother too. Um, later on, I realized that, yeah, he was just going through pressures and stresses he didn't know how to uh, express to people. Um, I don't think it was even a concept for him to be able to talk to other people about it. He was just this hard and fast corporate man Mm. uh, that went through the corporate world and in order to win and succeed, he did what he needed to do, but um, it came at a cost. What impact did that have on your mom? Yeah, Um, the impact it had on her, and I've asked her this since. I actually asked her maybe a year ago, what was it like living with three men or uh, two young boys and a man that didn't allow her to be who she was. And she said she felt like she was living in a prison. And that really hit me when she said those words. It was those kind of words that just kept seeping into me deeper and deeper after she said it. Um, Yeah, she described it as living in a prison where she felt like there was no escape and there was only like this like darkness that she couldn't see a light at the end of the tunnel. That's how she described it. Did you feel a bit like that as well? I no, I didn't feel trapped. I felt I felt powerless to help them. That's what I felt. Like that that was the main thing that I felt. I wanted to so badly 
reconcile what was happening between them. And I felt powerless to be able to do anything to help um, kind of alleviate that because it just kept happening over and over again. And how did that anger manifest in you and in what ways did it come out? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, it came out on the basketball court um, and it's something I've had to work over like the last 10 years to stop kind of projecting my, my frustration and my anger and the things that I bottled up out there in the court because that court gave me a, almost a container for expression, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the things that I bottled up when I'm alive and I'm on the basketball court and I'm doing something that I, I love doing, it, it almost gives me permission to express all of what I feel. And yeah. I've been on this journey to kind of reconcile and say, hey, how can I start to rein myself back and be the man that I want to be on the court versus release the things that I felt like I wasn't able to release otherwise. So did you have sort of violent outbursts when you were playing basketball? It was not violent outbursts because I I I didn't get into fights and things like that, but I was definitely... I had this attitude of if anyone gets in my way, I will crush them. And that was coming from that pent up anger um, that if somebody did like, I don't know, knock me the wrong way or like get aggressive, like I get aggressive back. And and it was those little micro outlets on the court that would eventually lead to like an argument or something like that. But it never led to fistfights and things like that. Mm. I never let it get that far, but it definitely... It definitely became a space for me to be arrogant. Did you feel that feeling transfer over into other parts of your life where you sort of had that thought in the back of your mind that if anyone steps in your path or rubs you up the wrong way that you're going to get aggressive? No, I actually went the opposite way in the rest of my life. I started to become quieter. Um, I was a shy kid. Uh, I was I completely lacked self-confidence and I think in everywhere else in my life, I suppressed myself. And that was the result. Lack of confidence, I would doubt myself. Still today, I'm dealing with some of that stuff, that repressed energy that I held onto so long in every cell of my body during that time that I grew up. And it's been a journey ever since. And so how did that develop? And what happened for you as a young man, sort of as you bridged towards your uh, early 20s and, and got into uni? What was happening at that time in your life? Yeah, so by uni, again, I still wasn't conscious of all these things that were happening. I was just projecting when I projected. But I, there was an event that occurred when I was 22 years old. It's kind of the pivotal story of my life where I actually got bottled, like hit with a bottle on my face in a club event, trying to break up a fight that wasn't to do with me. I was just trying to effectively be the hero and save others. Uh, that event was pivotal for me because I realized in that moment that I was attracting everything into my life, everything that was going wrong, I was attracting it. And it was my internal state, this anger that I'd suppressed, um, these feelings that I hadn't dealt with, that was actually attracting more of that into my life. So just walk us through that event and how you got from the start of it to uh, that result and explain in more detail how what you were feeling uh, inside led you to be in that position. Yeah, so... At that point in time in my life, uh, coming towards that event, things were already going so wrong around me. My relationships had fallen apart with most of my friends. Um, I was in hanging in the wrong circles um, with people that weren't the best uh, to be around and go around. Uh, my relationships with my mom and dad were completely broken. I didn't really talk to them at all by that point. Uh, this is around 21, 22. Um, and was completely rebelling against anything that they told me. I uh, didn't listen to them at all. And... 
pretty much my life was falling apart. And this event was the rock bottom. When that glass hit my face and I fell to the floor, I remember when, when bandages were wrapped around my face and I couldn't see anything. I felt so powerless to do anything in that moment, yet I felt so calm. And while I was waiting for that ambulance to come, it was about a 45-minute wait. It was the calmest I'd ever felt about a situation that should be anything but calm, right? And that's what started to get me to think, wait, maybe I have this inner strength that's trying to get me to go in a different direction in life. And I remember thinking while I was lying on the floor waiting for the ambulance that something's got to change. Either I keep going this way and I keep attracting these kind of things into my life or I make a change and I do whatever it takes to get me out of this place that I've gotten to. That's that's what I decided in that moment. What led you to breaking up the fight? What was happening? Um, I saw friends in there um, that I wanted to protect, right? And if you draw this back to me wanting to protect my parents, like this had become ingrained in me since I was about 12 years old, that if I saw a problem, I wanted to solve it. And I wanted to be the savior because I couldn't be that savior for my parents. So I lived my life trying to be a savior in any situation that would uh, present itself to me. But again, that came at the cost of um, my own protection, what's best for me and trying to do things for others in my life without filling my own cup and my own needs before I gave it away. Um, that's what was going on in that moment. And at that time in your life, what do you feel like now on reflection you were searching for? What was missing and what were you deeply wanting? Hmm. <laughs> I, I, wanted, I wanted to be free. Like I, I wanted to be free of all the anger and all the things that I was holding to myself. Like that's still the same today. Like I, everything that I do is because I want to be free and I want to bring that freedom to other people. Um, I don't want people to be limited by their emotions or limited by things that they feel that they can't speak about or their past. I want people to be free um, because then we can experience life to the fullest extent of, of what we've been given here in, in this day and, and this present moment. That's what I want more than anything. And when you got bottled, were you that quiet guy with a simmering level of anger underneath who didn't uh, really show what was going on inside and sort of kept yeah. his cards close to his chest. Is that yeah. why your relationships were falling apart? Because people couldn't really get to you or connect with you? Yeah, as in it was it was uncanny because I had this ability to build relationships really well, but there was always a part of me that nobody saw. And that part of me, like I showed people the parts of me that would win people over, mm. but I wouldn't show people the parts of me that I felt ashamed of or I thought they were broken. Yeah, but and the and the problem with that, which is what I've recognized now, is if I'm not being all of myself, there are going to be moments where that part of me will try to express itself in really aggressive ways. Yeah, uh, um, and that can have an impact on the people around me. And then you're trying so hard all the time to to dictate or guess what people want, and even those that you do attract to your life, they're only there because of the false image of the person that you portray and not actually who you really are. So then you're putting yourself under more stress to pretend to be this person all the time. And that's always in your head that the people around you even want you to be like that. Um, but you're just so scared of what people might think if they saw who you really are and, and perhaps that you're so insecure that you're scared of that as well. So you'd rather not acknowledge it. 
Yeah, it's it's an acceptance thing. Like I felt like people wouldn't accept these parts of me that um, if I expressed them, uh, yeah, I just felt like they wouldn't accept me. And ultimately what that meant is I wasn't accepting myself. And I've been on that journey ever since. Like this has been 10, about nearly 10 years since that event occurred. And I, it was that point in my life where I dipped and hit that rock bottom. Then I started going like this and I've been on that journey ever since. But my life has been going in an upward trajectory ever since. And I've been playing the long game to discover what kind of man I want to be and consistently step into that, which is what led to the organization Model Man. How did your dad respond after you got bottled? And how long did it take before the correlation was made between your young years and what you saw and the situation you ended up in there? Yeah, so my dad reacted like he actually blamed me when he was in the hospital and he saw like what had happened to my face. He blamed me saying, look what you're doing to us, to our family. Um, look at what you've become. Like, but I understood in that moment being calm in that moment that he was feeling hurt seeing his son in, a, in that state. And he was just reacting. So I, I understood in that moment why he reacted that way. And I never held that against him. Mm. Um, but I did feel very alone. But he was scared and that's how he deals with fear or has in the past where he would uh, react with, with anger. And I suppose you sort of understand that as, yeah. you've, got, as you've gotten older. Uh, what decision did you make when you were in the hospital that set you on to the path that you're on now? And did you have an epiphany? I did. Um, I was lying in the hospital bed on about, I think it was the third day of being in hospital with uh, no food and no water before the surgery because I had surgery on my eyelid and my eye. And I was going into that surgery not knowing whether I was going to come out being able to see again. And I had prepared myself in my mind for a life without an eye. I was like, if this happens, look, there's a lot worse that's happened to a lot of people. Like I can do with this. And the epiphany that I had in my bed is I either stay down and I keep going down in this path that I'm going or I make a decision to change my life and work on my internal state because I realized in that hospital bed it was my internal state that was attracting my outer reality it was how I felt about myself that was allowing that was giving people permission to treat me that way as well and it flipped it flipped my perspective on myself to like from myself to others that's what it did it flipped my perspective from what am I doing to have people treat me this way versus I'm blaming those people for treating me this way and why are they doing this to me? So you had some deep self-awareness there and some real maturity to be able to reflect and, and look at things that way because that would be very difficult for people who've just been assaulted like that to do where your instant reaction is that you want to blame everyone else but you had that peace of mind and that level of reflection to be able to step back from it and, and see what had got you to that position, which I think um, is pretty impressive. But obviously the the path from figuring something out and tr starting to see things differently to actually actualizing it uh, and moving towards a different life is uh, one that's quite difficult to follow. So how did you go from there towards um, – taking the first step towards being who you are now yeah so you're right because the realization is one thing but the action and the execution is a whole nother uh, game and i think that comes down to anything in life I and mean, i've been on that journey 
and only come to this place where I'm really executing and taking action on a daily basis with consistency in probably the last year of my life. Before that, I was working a lot on myself, my self-confidence, my self-worth, um, trying to understand who I am, why I'm doing what I do, and getting grounded in that so that I could launch myself into a life where then I start to give that to other people. That's the point that I've gotten to now. But action and execution is, it, it takes a level of consistency and it takes you committing to yourself that you're going to do every day what it takes, no matter what, to see through that thing that you feel like you're on earth to do. So what did you do with that anger from then on when you would feel it? How did you train yourself to respond differently? I, I didn't do anything um, on purpose, but my life led me towards dealing with my internal state, understanding it, um, understanding where my anger came from, the root of it all, then going and talking to the people. Uh, for example, the person who bottled me. I've actually spoken to him since. And there was probably, of the people that I, I could say that I potentially hated in my life, like I hated him. I had hate for him. I had anger towards him. And there was a, a blame that I held for uh, the way he treated me uh, back then in that moment that I just hadn't let go of until about, I think it was about two years ago. I was boarding on a flight to Europe and something inside of me said, find this guy and message him. I knew who he was because I'd heard of him and my friends had known who he was, but I'd never actually spoken to him or met him again since we had been in court. I messaged him and I pretty much told him in short that I forgive him for what happened. And I shared with him the man that I've become since that day. And I shared with him my perspective on this event that I actually perceived it as the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And my wake up call to becoming the man that I wanted to be so I could start to help other people. And sharing that with he him. He wouldn't have expected was, that message. No. It was a shock to him. I'm hoping he hears these kind of stories because one day, I told him one day I would love to do an interview with him for the model man. I would love to sit down man to man and show, show what it's like to embody forgiveness and have a conversation with somebody that was a big part of my life. So what did he say? The one line that he said that stuck with me ever since and actually shaped uh, the man that I've become is he said, Hey man, I wasn't a bad person. I just made a mistake, but I've been living like I'm a bad person ever since. And he's been doing everything in his power to become a better person since then he's gone on to do. Um, he's gone on to talk to young, young boys apparently, or go and mentor people on how not to make bad decisions in a, in a, in a moment mm. and how not to let alcohol impact your decision-making. Wow. Like so hugely, hugely momentous, hugely momentous moment. And it's funny how life works where in that instance, at least it turned out that it was a hugely positive catalyst moment for both of you, uh, which would be pretty rare, but you never know, but it does really embody and demonstrate the power of forgiveness because you would have been feeling after that happened that you were carrying the burden of that hate and that's what we do when we have a grudge or we're holding on to something we're the one that has to carry it the other person doesn't they often don't know or they're living their own life and it's just you with your narrative or your story in your head about what they're thinking and how everyone perceives what happened but it's just you stressing yourself out carrying this weight around that you have to be the one to let go of which is easier said than done. But what did that do for you when you did it? It set me free, in short. And I think it set him free too, um, of the burden that we were carrying 
um, the emotional weight that we had stored around this particular trauma, this particular event and how we had perceived it disappeared in that moment. And I was free to then uh, go on to the next thing and the next level of who I was. Was there still the issues at home as you were trying to make these changes? No, the issues at home started to change maybe in my mid-20s. Like my parents started to resolve their own things, work through their own stuff. And now my parents are actually in an amazing place. Their marriage is really good. Is that because your dad worked out some stuff about himself and matured a bit emotionally? I can think of pivotal points where me and him had discussions about what happened that I think really started to shape and make him realize the impact that his actions had had on our family and on me as his son. And there was moments where he cried and he shared with me how he felt about those times. And he shared with me about the pressure he went through, which is what made us understand each other better, which helped us release what was going on. And so the problem was always that lack of communication and that builds a lack of understanding where you're both trying to assume what the other person's thinking or feeling and, and reacting, but not uh, bonding and not having that compassion for each other. How did you broach having those conversations with your dad, though? Because you'd always painted him a certain way and he had certainly uh, earned that title, but you feared him for a large part of your life. So how did you... Yeah, broach those conversations where you, you spoke about those things. It took courage and it took self-realization of the events and the things that had occurred between him and I and the things that he had done. It took self-realization on my end to be like, hey, I've been blaming him for things that maybe I don't fully understand. That was the first part. So the self-awareness came and then it took the courage to actually approach him and be like, dad, I want to have a chat. That takes so much courage and I probably haven't let myself feel into just how much courage it took, but I've done that over and over and over again with him and had pretty deep discussions and gotten to know him on a deeper level in not just what happened between him and I and our family, but his past, how he grew up as a child, uh, how his father treated him, how his father shaped him. It was that understanding of our lineage and of uh, his story and his father's story and his father's father's story that started to unravel the the brokenness between us. Yeah, and those those patterns that you slowly unravel make it all make sense. And I see this time yeah. and time again, speaking to men and talking about their relationships with their, their fathers and their father's relationships with their fathers and how these uh, this trauma and these behaviors are, are passed down through the generations and that uh, your dad is the way he is because of how his dad was and he was like that because of his father before him and that we're all sort of products of what's been passed down through the yes. generations, which is interesting to realize on reflection. And obviously something that came out of speaking to your dad and having him open up to you was just how much his corporate life weighed on him and influenced the way that he reacted in in the rest of his life. Yeah, 100%. And then understanding his story is what started to bring us closer together. And it made me realize if I want to be able to connect positively with any human being, I need to understand them. I need to not assume and I need to take responsibility for that I may be projecting my own views onto who they are uh, as a person rather than actually getting to know them. And that's when I start, that's when I made that shift to start 
stop thinking about what I think about them and start actually understanding who they are. That was a big change for me. Uh, it takes a lot more effort to do that, to not just make a snap judgment because that's easy to do. And actually connecting with someone or putting the effort into uh, and the compassion into thinking about why they potentially think the way they do or say what they say and then withholding judgment. You know, a lot of people just aren't prepared to do to do that. But um, that's why we miss out, I suppose, on a, on a lot of potential connections as well. What need did you notice uh, there is in society that wasn't and still isn't being met that you could have an impact on? I think men really struggle to take responsibility for their character and the impression their character leaves on others. I think that is a pivotal change that society needs to start moving towards and take ownership of. Uh, the reason I say that is because I think if men start to do this in society, it opens up, it opens up um, access for other people to be able to do the same women and all other gender associations included. I think men hold a power in society right now that if they started to take responsibility for who they are as people, they start to impact people around them more positively. And people like my mother don't start to feel like they have permission to be themselves because they're not being held down by the men around them. Mm. What is the model man? And that's where the model man came in because when me and my dad started speaking about our stories, I realized um, there are so many men in organizations, working professionals who are going through the same things that my father went through, bringing that home and also bringing that around with them to whoever they encounter. So the model man uh, was born out of our story and our reconnection journey. And now me and my father are working together uh, on this on this organization to help men become male role models and access their full potential by working on their personal brand. And how are you guys doing that? How are you working together and how has that come about? Because obviously he worked somewhere in the corporate world, but how is that relevant to you guys being able to start this business and do what you do now? Yeah, so him working in the corporate world um, gives us an insider insight into what's actually happening in there, what kind of cultural change and individual change we can bring to men. So what individual change we can bring to men themselves and what cultural change we can start to create within organizations that start to make these places less like pressure cookers that people walk into every day um, where they struggle to be themselves, they don't feel important, and they actually um, start to feel like they can be more of themselves in these places. So when they come home to their families, they can actually be present with them. They can actually uh, be there for them the way that they want to be. And other than his personal experience, what practical expertise does your dad have that are useful now in doing this? So he is, he's been an expert in like change management, management within organizations probably for the last 30 years of his life. Um, and he's also worked at very high positions within very large organizations such as General Electric, NAB, AGL, and now uh, the Australian Red Cross. And he is kind of brought in as this person to be the guy that comes in and brings that change into the organization. Isn't it funny that that's what his job has been all along and that's ended up being exactly what you found your calling to be and your 
uh, calling together to bring about change. And it just seems funny to me that he was already doing it, but uh, yeah. in a completely different way that obviously didn't work. Yeah, there, there's so much like funniness to this. Like I can find hilarity in ha- connecting the dots now as to why he went through that. I believe everything is for a reason. I believe he went through that pressure so we could come together 10, 20 years in the future and start to work together to uh, go and shift organizations to make sure this doesn't happen to other people. I believe this was his purpose and his destiny. And by our example of our, our rebonding and reconnecting, that we can start to set that example for other people through this work. I believe it's it, it was destined. And how's your relationship different now? Um, it is ever evolving every single day. Um, I'm starting to uh, have confidence in being myself around him again. That's what's that's what's really changed because we're in meetings every day. We're building the business. We're sharing stories. We're getting to know each other deeper. Like when we start to create content and when we start to talk about what this organization's about, inevitably stories about who we are come up um, in, in that process. And we get to learn more about each other. And to be honest, the business is great, but the connection between him and I evolving, like that's what I'm really grateful for. And this becomes an outlet for me to be able to do that with him and then also give back into society, which is a bonus. That should give a lot of fathers and sons who perhaps don't have the best relationship hope for the future because you, at a certain point in time, wouldn't have thought that your relationship could be any worse. And now you probably can't think that it could be any better. So it's a pretty astounding turnaround. What do you guys do in a practical sense to try and achieve some of these changes that you're trying to make? Yeah, so... A big part of our philosophy is around success, right? And what what's going to lead men to a successful life and ultimately producing the, the life that they want? Because if they're in that place, then they're going to be in a place where they're able to give to other people um, without projecting onto them or having a negative impact. So practically, we we just do the work every day. We we set a course. We we set um, we plan our goals at the start of every month. We have an action plan to execute on it and we make sure that we hit our goals within a certain time frame and a schedule that we set and we hold each other accountable. Are you doing coaching with individuals? Are you doing it with whole corporate teams? How does that work? Yeah, so um, at the present moment, uh, I've been coaching men one-on-one and r- what we're creating right now is kind of like a like a workshop experience where me and dad will whiteboard and create like a roundtable discussion where men can come into these uh, these workshops and start to talk about what's really going on with them inside of corporates and in their lives and help them resolve those challenges that they're going through by uh, focusing on working on their personal brand and attracting success into their life. That's kind of what we're doing practically. And we're in the build of short courses, workshops at the moment. And is part of your aim to change some actual corporate structures and have the businesses themselves reassess the way they run and treat staff or is it really focused on the individual and they're still going to have to work within that system right now it's the individual because we want to get a deep level understanding of the individual men that are working in these organizations and what they go through because we believe all change starts at the source but our big vision is to go into organizations and actually change the way they operate um, through through a change management approach um, to become more rest-centered and more peace-centered in their approaches to 
um, delivering on the organization's goals. What are, what are some and of the things that you'd like to see done differently? I would like organizations to become more people-centered and to care about the people that are actually working there, um, to actually value people as more than just a number and actually see them as a human being and have that be priority. I want people to be prioritized within organizations because, I mean, that's what happened with my dad. He wasn't prioritized as a person and he fell into kind of the trap of climbing the ladder of success but having to sacrifice himself in order to do that. I want success to become unsacrificial within organizations and I want it to move towards more um, like peace-centered approaches and rest-centered approaches to the way that we do work. And what could organizations do to achieve that? Um, People can start, like I think it starts at the top uh, and I think uh, people just need to change their approach from being about self to being about others. And that that simple mindset shift will start to help build relationships within organizations that are more positively defined. I think organizations are built on the relationships that happens between everyone within the organization and also everyone that the organization touches. We work in our relationships and our ability to connect. We start to change organizations from within. So this becomes a, a relationship challenge. How do we start to focus more on relationship and how we positively build connections with one another and how we prioritize each other and put everyone's best interests at heart versus thinking about only about the bottom line of the organization and producing results and profits. Mm. And you're going up against capitalism. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty big opposition to, yes. be trying to, to push against. doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. I suppose you would understand how great the challenge is in trying to shift those mindsets, especially in corporates that achieve a great level of uh, monetary success and are very efficient and they've been driving it with that same system for, for decades. How do you convince them that there's a better way? By showing them results. And that's why we're working with individuals first because we want to make sure that we're measurably producing results for these people that actually increase their ability to perform. Because all of this is performance-based stuff, right? If if we can help organizations produce employees and people that actually improve their own performance and therefore the performance of the organization collectively, then they'll do it. That improves the bottom line. Yeah. Right. And there is definitely ways to do that. Um, The research is there, but right now we're putting together one step at a time. Um, kind of case studies to show people on an individual level and then work on teams and work in groups and then slowly build our way up to the point where we can go and talk to executives, CEOs, which is what my dad does on a daily basis anyway. But we want to do it um, as like a third-party organization that comes in and brings transformational change into organizations in a very unique way. So you're keeping some quantitative and qualitative data on people that you're working with to show how far along they've come. And then by collating that, you can eventually go to uh, directors of the business themselves and say, we've got hard evidence that people actually will perform better if they're treated better and they think differently and you should apply that to your whole office. Yes, but this is evidence-based approaches that are needed. We, we do understand that uh, organizations have operated a certain way and produced results out of that certain way for a long time. So in order to bring systems change into organizations, they need to be shown and proven that there's some better approach. And then, we, and then if we can prove that to them and show them that, 
um, that's what starts to create the change. We know this is no small task. Do you think COVID has been a big enough moment in our history to bring about lasting positive change in the corporate world in terms of work-life balance and working from home and, and that sort of thing? Or do you think uh, it still hasn't been enough to make that last? No, I think uh, COVID came at the perfect time, like everything does in life. I believe um, COVID actually shook the, the structural concrete or the foundational concrete of organisations probably for the first time in, in like late history. Um, it's given organisations an opportunity to reassess how they do things at the foundations of their organisations for the first time. People are working from home now. People are looking for new ways of working to make things more flexible for people. Flexibility is starting to become a big part of the discussion as to the way that we go into the future post-COVID. And so what would you say makes a model man? Yeah. Firstly, I think that's individual to every human being. And that's why we want to take men on, on that their own journey of what being a model man is to them. But I think the bottom line of being a model man is being responsible for your character and the impression that character leaves in others. Mm. I think all men thinking like that and living like that, if my dad had done that when he was young and started to take more of an approach on the impression that his character was leaving on his family, on people around him, then he might have been inclined to change that and start to look at what the identity of a model man is for him and start to shift towards that, getting clear on that. Basing your life on being the man that you want to be with that character and those traits and wanting yeah. to be that person and then uh, building everything else around that rather than going after the material or, or the job or the, the status or whatever it is and then sort of forgetting yourself along the way. Yeah. Uh, we believe that if you don't forget yourself along the way and you are actually more of yourself, you will be able to produce more results for your life. Like we're trying to flip the script on the way that people are trying to produce the results here. My dad metaphorically whipped himself for 20 to 30 years trying to produce results for companies that didn't care about who he was. But if he was given permission to be himself, he was happy, he felt peaceful, he would have produced even more results. And we've talked about this, he believes this, he would have produced even more results earlier than he is now since he made that realization. Mm. And that's what this is all about. So what's it going to mean for you guys when all of this materializes? The, rather than what it means for us, I think what this has done for us has made us realize that life right now is already amazing. And, coming, and, and there needs to be a shift of how we feel right now before we step into producing those kind of things. So then we don't come from a place of having anything to prove or having any of this be about us. So me and my dad are both on this journey right now. And my dad's a lot further ahead than I am in this. Um, it's still something that I'm working on, but completely giving up who I am and my needs and my wants in order to serve the greater good um, and, and trusting that that will actually give me everything that I've ever wanted in life. And it already is, to be honest. And what do you want from life? I want to be. I want to be peaceful. I want to be happy. I want to be able to contribute and express who I am out in the world in a positive manner. And I want to. I want to grow every day. And I want to impact as many lives positively as I can before I leave this earth. And I think collectively, as human beings, we were we were designed and we were born to to be able to contribute to others. 
and that comes back to the whole relationship and the connection piece between me and my dad. I had that realization in trying to grow our relationship and rekindle our relationship that life is best lived when we're doing life together. So are you the model man yet? Um, I am and I can, and I'm always improving. And me being the clearing for the organization, like the representative of what the model man is and being the founder, like I am very inclined to continue to improve my example to the best of my ability and step continuously step further and further into being the best version of myself. Cause that's a, that's a lifetime journey. It never ends. You can always do better and be better and improve your character and stand for something greater than you. And I intend to do that because now I have an organization that I am responsible for. And therefore I am trying to hold myself accountable to being that better man every day. So other people can see that I am doing that and then have permission to do that themselves. How do you see that angry boy that you used to be now? Um, I, I go inside sometimes and I delve and I talk to him, like I go back and I talk to him and I'm like, Hey, like I, you, you don't have to be angry anymore. Like you, you are free. And I have to keep reminding myself of that because the, the anger is still a part of me at times. And I'm still clearing old energy and old um, patterns that are there that I've held on to. But I see that, that angry little boy as someone who was really just sad that he didn't have a connection with his father, who was sad that his mother was being treated the way she was being treated and sad that he didn't have control over the situation and couldn't make it better. And that sadness led to anger because anger is just suppressed sadness at the end of the day. Mm. If we're angry, underneath that is always an ocean of sadness that hasn't been dealt with. And what's changed my attitude towards all of this, especially probably in the last few weeks, is understanding that an attitude of gratitude towards everything in life is what's going to really set us free. Attitude of gratitude sounds like a mad slogan, man. You should probably use that. <laughs> it started to become a thing for me lately. Like I've just, I've, I've come to this point where if I'm not at the point of tears every day for how grateful I am for my life, I'm not grateful enough. <laughs> and I'm genuinely starting to like when I'm going on drives and I'm just thinking about, I can't believe I've gotten to this place from where I was. And I really feel that like I start to tear up. Yeah. And, and life starts and I start to feel more alive that way. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible to be alive and there's nothing wrong with being uh, overwhelmed at times by the magic of that and the opportunity that you have and you've learned some hard lessons along the way but they have led you towards being able to uh, contribute and make the impact that you're making now and, and it's all sort of uh, lined up and it does seem... It, in your case, like it has happened for a reason. Um, and I just think it's such a great story for fathers and sons to, to see uh, what, what is possible, even if you haven't had the best start or you've been through uh, rocky patches, that um, anything can happen and you can end up being best friends after being, you know, in your mind as a kid, worst enemies. Uh, I just think it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful story and it's nice that it's continuing to unfold and that you're creating something together. So it's just great to see an example like that. Thank you, man. I appreciate your words. And it's nice to be acknowledged. I think that's another thing that men don't do enough is acknowledge each other for what they see in each other. And I think that can be something that sets other men free when they're holding all this stuff inside we start to acknowledge them for who they really are, they start to feel like they can be more of themselves and let those kind of things out and talk about them. That's what it's all about.
If you're a fan of the work we're doing or have a suggestion for the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment. You can follow Youngblood Men's Health Matters on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube and visit our website youngbloodmedia.com.au to stay up to date. And most importantly, if this conversation resonated with you, share it with someone you love and start a conversation of your own. A huge thank you to our local business supporters who've joined our mission to change the lives of young men for the better and help make this possible. We're all in it together. This is Youngblood. Thanks for being part of the mission. Catch you next time.